Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We consider it an honor to host you. You can stay up to date with us at BethesdaChurch.tv or on Instagram. Now let's get ready for the message. We celebrate one more time, 45 people going public with their faith. Man, what an awesome, awesome day it has been. Uh, We do celebrate. Those that are watching online, thank you for tuning in. This is week number two of Twisted. Everybody say Twisted. Twisted. Um, As I jumped into the series last week, Karen and I had a conversation about the first message. And I realized after the fact, sometimes you don't know until it's over, Um, that I had jumped in to the deep end of the pool. Um, And so I'm going to take a couple of minutes just to review to make sure that we've got our head around uh, what iniquity is and what this series, Twisted, is all about. Iniquity means bent or twisted. Iniquity and sin are not the same thing. God said in Exodus chapter number 20 that he would visit Not the sin of the Father, but the iniquity of the Father, and it could span to three or four generations. Isaiah 53 says that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. Jesus bled on the outside for our sins, our behavior, but he bled on the inside for our iniquities, for the things that people cannot see. And so what we have to understand is that Jesus wants to free us as believers, not just that we have behavior modification, Jesus wants to free us on the inside. Uh, He wants to free us not just of the what, but he wants to free us of the why, why we're doing it. We get so hung up on the what that we're missing the why, but if we can heal the why or talk about the why, then we can heal the what. Now, I do have some new content today, and I think I'm going to set it up with a story. Um, I have learned over the last five years, because our little princess is five, that raising boys is a whole lot different than raising girls. Anybody feel me? Come on, y'all. Way different. Way, 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 way different. Uh, For instance, um, Everly can manifest a hundred emotions in a day. And I've yet to see more than about three from Elijah and Ezekiel, and they're 14 and 12. Um, And so it's completely different, um, and so much so that um, a couple weeks back, and this has happened a couple of times, but it, it's really going to help me set up the message. Uh, I told Everly, no. All right, just, I can't remember what, I just said, no, can't do it, no. And she lost her mind. Um, I mean, I'm talking about the tears running into the snot, I, I mean, screaming. And, and so sometimes what I'll do is I'll try to redirect by being funny. And so she's having an uncontrollable cry, a moment, a, an emotional breakdown, all right? It's happening in, in front of me. Uh, and so I did something kind of funny, said something, and um, she started laughing, okay? Get this. She starts laughing, but she didn't stop crying, and she started laughing. She's got a full-on cry and a full-on laugh happening at the same time. How, that is a sight to behold. It's quite the mixture. Now, I told you guys that story because I want to talk to you about that subject matter. I want to talk to you about mixture. Everybody say mixture. All right, say it again. Say mixture. I want you to get this. When it comes to light and darkness, when it comes to holiness and uh, unholiness or righteousness and unrighteousness, I can prove to you by the scripture that God doesn't have um, a high tolerance for mixture. Um, And I think a lot of us, we live um, lives that are mixed. We We have days that are good and days that are bad. We have days that we feel holy and days that we don't feel holy. We have days we think we're going to heaven and days that we don't think we're going to heaven. And I just want to, to let you know that God 
his will is not for you to live on an emotional or spiritual roller coaster. Um, and when it comes to mixture, we have to understand, uh, even with words like the anointing, um, the anointing in the Old Testament, when God gave the ingredients to make the anointing oil, it was very specific. It could only have exactly what God wanted it to have, and nothing could be added to it. And God was so serious about it that he would only allow a master perfumer to, to mix the ingredients, all right? So it was really, really important. So practically, God does not want you to be up and down. I feel holy, I'm not holy. I'm saved, I'm not saved. Uh, when God establishes something, he doesn't want there to be mixture. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse number 24. This is a parable that Jesus taught about the kingdom. It says, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first, gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn." Jesus is talking about the kingdom. He's, the very first verse we read, it was about the kingdom. He says, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. So he's teaching on the kingdom, and he says, a man sowed some good seed, but while men slept, an enemy sowed tares among the wheat. Now you got to remember, this is what the kingdom is like, and so that tells me there is good stuff, and there is bad stuff coming up together. Are you following? Good stuff and bad stuff coming up together. And I love this because the servants do what a lot of church folk do. The servants ask, because the Bible's very clear, the man sowed good seed, he was expecting a harvest, but while men slept, the enemy came in and sowed tares. And so the servants asked, didn't you sow good seed? Like, didn't you sow good seed? Um, what you have to understand is there is always somebody that wants to judge your life. There is always somebody who wants to say that you are not who you say you are. And I got some words for those kind of people today. Go judge your own field. Stop judging my field. Your field Last time I checked is a full-time job. Go police your own stuff. Man, I'm already there. I'm already there. It's amazing how people cannot discipline themselves but judge others. They can't get their own family in order. Yet they got words for everybody else's family. They're not in alignment in their own home. But they're trying to bring alignment to everybody else's home. The servant said, sir, did you not sow good seed in the field? How does it have tares? In other words, if you are who you say you are, why is this mess out here? Why are these tares here? Iniquity, church, is different than sin. I'm going to keep coming back to this. Sin deals with the what, and that's usually as far as the church goes. We want to deal with the behavior, the what, what they did. But we got to move past the what into the why they did it. That's iniquity. Iniquity is what drives the sin. Iniquity is the why behind the decisions that people make that, that bring them out of alignment with the will of God. If I can uncover the why I did something, then I can heal the what. Are you with me? See, we, we're great at pointing out the wrong that people do, but we're not very good at pointing out the why they did it. See, behind every, why, behind every what, there is a why. And behind every fruit, 
there is a root. Behind everything you see quickly, there's been something else present that you haven't seen for a long time. When you see fruit pop out on a tree real quick, you have to understand that there has been a root in the ground for 30 years that allowed that fruit to come out quickly. And I think it would do the church a favor if we could slow down long enough to delve into the drama of a person's life from time to time and stop dealing with what they did and let's start dealing with the why they did it. Because there is always more than what meets the eye. If someone comes to me and says, Pastor, I'm struggling with addiction, uh, it's not my responsibility at that point to look down my nose in judgment at them. But at that point, if they're struggling with addiction and had enough faith to even bring it into the light, then I should not judge them. I, I should get down to the root of why do you need to numb whatever it is you're trying to know. What pain, what what trauma, what, what happened that is causing you to use a drug so that you can escape reality even if it's just for a brief moment. See, I, I want to look back over your life and I, I, I want to find out why you need to numb the pain because if I find out the why, then we can heal the what. I am preaching this right now. Listen, we got, we got to move past just the what because iniquity means twisted. Iniquity has to do with the inner forces that drive me. It has to do with the inner passion and the inner desires that I have. And so the church has to become a place where people are no longer afraid to talk about the, the why. See, we're, we're okay. Well, I did this or I did that. But, but can we become a place where people can talk about the deeper issue, the hidden issue, the thing that is underneath the surface where they can come and know that it's a safe place to declare that I've got something in my life that is out of whack. I've got desires that don't line up with the Word of God. I'm wanting to go and do something that I shouldn't do. Can we at least hear them on the why before we even have to deal with the what? See, I, I want it to be a safe place, and just because you struggle doesn't mean that God is through with you. As a matter of fact, the struggle is an indicator of the exact opposite. It's not the people who struggle that scare me. It's the people who say they don't struggle. Oh, my goodness. That scare me. And the reason is because if you aren't struggling, that tells me that you've probably been overcome and already given up. But if you, have, if you would say today that you have been struggling I would encourage you by saying at least you're still engaged in the fight. <laughs> Woo! I may be struggling to forgive, but at least I'm in the fight. I may be struggling to raise this child, but at least I'm in the fight. I may be struggling with an addiction, but at least I'm in the fight. I may not be everything that I want to be, but I thank God that I'm not who I used to be. Oh, I'm going to preach till I find somebody today that would admit that this thing ain't always easy. Taking up your cross and following Jesus means that from time to time we're going to struggle. But at least we're engaged in the process. See, I, I, I'm going to keep doing what I need to do. Even Listen, it's okay to serve God and struggle. The problem is when people give up. The problem is when you, you finally reside and say, I can't get through it. I can't get past it. I can't get over it. I'm just going to give it. I want to tell you, keep coming to church even if the struggle is present. Keep lifting your hands even if the addiction isn't broke yet. Keep serving until God shows up. Eventually, what is the struggle in this season will become your testimony in the next season. But I got to keep putting one foot in front of the other until I get through this season. Man, iniquity means bent or twisted, which means 
that I come into the world somewhat messed up. Of no fault of my own. Did you know we, came in, we, come, we come in messed up, not because of what we did, but because of what Adam did. Like we come in with a certain proclivity. We have a bend. Listen, my, I struggle. My struggle may not look like yours, and your struggle may not look like mine. But everybody comes in bent toward a direction that does not honor God. And it doesn't mean that I look at you differently. Just listen, we got to stop judging people because they sin differently than we do. <laughs> See, what was twisted in Adam is unraveled through Christ. See, the, the first birth, I come in bent, but Jesus makes the crooked places straight in my life. That everything that's twisted, that in Christ, it can be unraveled. Jesus said in the parable that while men slept, the enemy came in and sowed tares. We have to remember that some of the battles that we're fighting stem from something that was planted in, in the bloodline that existed before we showed up. That, 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 that some people are swinging and fighting and struggling against something that they didn't even sow for. That it was present before they got here. So I come in bent. I come in twisted. And a lot of times, we, we don't want to deal with the deeper issues that come from the bloodline. And instead of taking an, an, an axe to the root of the issue, we come up in church and hide. Listen, some people hide in church. They hide the real issues behind their service. Because they think if I serve then I don't have to deal with what my daddy did to me or my mama did to me or this certain proclivity that I'm drawn to do and I know it doesn't honor God. So I'm just going to hide behind worship or I'm going to hide behind opening the door. I'm going to hide behind serving in kids. I'm going to hide behind my service and not deal with my issue. Listen, that's why when somebody goes crazy, and they flip their lid. They've been in church 25 years. You think, I don't know what happened to, you. to them. They were so awesome. And it's not that they were not awesome, but they had something underneath the surface that had been brewing for a long time, and they never dealt with the root of the issue. And so when it all comes out into the light, we're all scratching our head, but they know they've been struggling for the last 25 years. See, what we have to get to is, is we got to understand that those that got baptized in these baptistries today, watch this. They, they are not, God did not just put a little makeup on them. Like, take their mess, I'm going to cover it a little bit and just kind of spot check them. No, the old man died. They rose up a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. They have come out of darkness into God's light, which means that I'm a brand new person, which means that you've never seen a husband like this. You've never seen a, a wife like this. You've never seen a father like this. Why? Because I'm a brand new creation. God does not dress up the old you. And the church, we want to dress up the old us. We just want to make the old us a little bit better. Why not just become a brand new creature? Because that's why Jesus died. Another word that, it's kind of a big word, it's a word I grew up on, but a lot of people didn't. But there's a lot of biblical words that the, the new modern church don't want to talk about. But it's, they have powerful meaning, just like iniquity. I had people tell me this week, I've never even heard of the word. Thank you so much. I, it, it, it shed light on so much. Another word is the word sanctification. Look at the definition. Set apart as sacred to make holy, to consecrate, to purify or free from sin, to entitle to reverence or respect, to make productive of or conducive to spiritual blessing. God, when God sanctifies us, and this is the, the deeper work, because God brings us out of Egypt overnight. Like, 
You're in darkness, now you're in light. The problem is sanctification. Getting the Egypt out of us. And this is the process that nobody wants to talk about, but it's important to receive all that God has for you. We don't have to look any further than David to see iniquity. David even wrote, I was born into sin, shapen in iniquity. He uses the word iniquity. And we often talk about David, his adultery, his lying, and his murdering. And, and, but what we don't talk about is the fact that he was rejected by his own father. See, I, when we look at the story of David, we want to focus on murder, lying, and adultery. But when I read the story, I can't get past his father, Jesse, that when the prophet came to anoint the next king, that he got all of his sons together and gathered them together, but he left David outside, didn't even allow him to come in to be a part of the ceremony to do the jobs that no one else wanted to do. Don't you think for a minute that that did not plant a seed of rejection in David's heart that later manifested in lying and murder and adultery? The root was not adultery. The root was rejection. David spent his entire life warring and fighting. What was he fighting? The demons of his own daddy. The rejection that he had experienced from his own father. And, and so we don't like talking about this part of it because we, we, we think that people are either living holy or they're in sin. Um. David was lying and murdering and committing adultery, and at the same time, the Bible says that he's a man after God's own heart. See, this messes with our theology because we think you're either in sin or you're holy. And I can prove to you by Scripture a lot of times what we have is a lot of mixture. A lot of mixture. Now, the holy people are going to say he don't preach the gospel. But if I could come live with you for about three days, I would discover some mixture. See, it's, it's, it's not that we haven't conquered some things. You've conquered some things. But it's the little things we haven't conquered that threatens everything we have conquered. Um, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. In other words, there are things on the inside of all of us planted in the bloodline. And, and what happens is what you got to understand about the, I'm going to get to this a little later. There are things planted in the bloodline that sometimes do not even surface until you're on the precipice of all that God has for you. You're about to step into the promotion. You're about to step into the opportunity. You're about to step into the ministry. And now you're, you look on the inside and you're like, where did that come from? See, a lot of times we, we want to ignore those things, but the enemy will sometimes plant things and he will cause it to rise to the surface about the time you're, go you're going to get a breakthrough. About the time you're, a, you're, you're going to come into all that God has for you. And I believe this is why David, even in the midst of everything in his life, he was, he was an extravagant praiser. Like extravagant. Um, and I think it's because David understood there are things in my life that no one can help me with. Listen, you got some stuff in your life that no person can help you with. The only thing that's going to break that off of your life is the presence of God, and that's why sometimes you got to be a little extravagant in your praise. Don't think that the person who is most extravagant has their life together. No, baby, they're probably extravagant because they got problems and struggles and they recognize that the only way I'm going to get free is to praise my way into the presence of God. 
Some of you mad at somebody on your row right now because they loud and obnoxious. But if you saw the battle they've been fighting in the spirit, if you saw the weight that they carried into this place, then you wouldn't judge their praise. Blind Bartimaeus got real loud. He was the only one who couldn't see. All the people that could see were quiet. But he needed a miracle. I just wonder if you're tired of wrestling with the same struggle over and over that you would be willing to be like a blind Bartimaeus and lift your voice in spite of everybody wanting you to be quiet. It don't take all that. I was recently at a church in Tennessee and I was preaching there and during the worship, this was um, last month, I was sitting like, middle front row and and this girl I mean she was worshiping I've never seen anything like it she was up front she was worshiping with all of her heart her arm she was jumping she was running back and forth she was dancing she was spinning she didn't care what any and I was thinking to myself wow man that's some praise and they finished worship and about the time worship ended a video came on And the video was a testimony of the girl that I just watched praise God like crazy. And and on the video, she talks about the life of addiction for years, the time she spent in prison, and then it all made sense. Jesus took her out of that life and has saved her. Those who are forgiven much will praise much. Come on, if you've been forgiven of much, you ought to give your God a praise right now. If he's ever showed you any mercy, if he's ever extended grace to you. Man, I feel something brewing today. God, help my voice to get through this. See, what is not dealt with in one generation increases in the next generation. Um, we know David's struggles. It started with the rejection and then adultery, and then from the adultery, the lying and the murdering, all that stuff happened. But when you look at his son, Solomon, it wasn't adultery or one woman that caught his eye. It was hundreds of women. What wasn't broken in David's life increased in Solomon's life. It's why when Solomon's writings in the Bible, he, he starts out by saying, listen to the preacher. He's the preacher. Solomon's the preacher. Listen to the teacher. Listen to these words of wisdom. He starts out with that. But by the end of his writing, he starts writing, life is pointless. Life is meaningless. There, there's nothing new under the sun. Life doesn't make any sense. How do you go from listen to the preacher and these words of wisdom to life is pointless? The reason is because there was something that happened in his life. There was a bunch of women that happened in his life. There was iniquity passed down to him that was multiplied in his life that got him to a place where he's like, life is pointless. See, if you struggle long enough, sometimes you're tempted to throw in the towel. Some of us, we we wonder, and I just want to prophetically declare over this house that an anointing be released over Bethesda Church where your children will not deal with what you had to deal with. Your grandchildren will not fight the same devils that you fought. You, You may not feel anything right now, see anything right now, but I declare to you in this house that the enemy you see today, you will see them again no more. Come on, my children are not going to fight the same devils I fought. Why? Because I'm going to defeat them. They're going to fight devils, but they're going to fight their own devils. I'm not setting them up to fight daddy's devils. Because what's passed down is increased. It's why it's so important that we get victory. See, when you look at this parable in Matthew 13, the man sowed good seed in his field. He's expecting a harvest, but he goes out one day and sees that there are tares there. And the Bible says that the enemy sowed the tares. Galatians 6 and 9, we know the scripture. It says, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So so Paul comes and tells us, don't faint. Don't lose heart. Keep doing the right thing. 
Don't give up. And, and what we have to understand about fainting or losing heart is that don't usually happen, happen in the sowing season or in the harvest season. We faint in the waiting season. We lose heart between the time we, sow, we sowed good seed and the time we receive harvest. And so Paul said, don't faint while doing good. One of the keys to breakthrough in your life is that we have to kill the victim mentality. I'm going to do my best with this. I cannot walk in victory and play the victim at the same time. I am so tired of church people singing praise on Sunday, but poor pitiful me on Monday. Either be victorious or lay there and be the victim. But you cannot play both. I cannot have victory and have people feel sorry for me all the time. At some point, you have to decide that you want the victory for real. Like, for real victory. Not, I praised a little bit on Sunday, but now I want people to feel sorry for me. I, now I want to talk about what they did to me. Now I want to be the victim. See, there is something in all of us. The man in the text, he's sowing for the wheat. And he did not sow anything bad, and yet tares showed up because the Bible says that while men slept, the enemy sowed tares. There is something about a harvest on bad decisions that I've made. If I make bad decisions and I experience a harvest, I can deal with that because it's on me. Are you following? I, I, I can repent. I can ask God to forgive me. I can say, you know what, I'm going to turn this around. I'm going to do better. I, I'm not going to make the same decisions any longer. I'm going to make better ones going forward. I, I'm going to move forward. But what about when something has been done to you that you have no control over? What about the things that show up in your life that you did not ask for? Um, if I got myself in the mess, I can get myself out, but what do I do when I got to go around cleaning up your mess? What do I do when I start eating from a harvest that I didn't plant the seeds for? That I'm, I'm cleaning up somebody else's mess. Life will really be about how you handle those moments. And, and, and I can absorb when I've done it, but can I absorb when somebody else creates the mess? He said in the parable, an enemy did this. There are many times in life that people will do things that make you have to clean up. And you can never allow that. I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. You can never allow that to become a cycle that turns into a victim mentality. Because a victim mentality says, because of what happened to me, don't expect too much out of me. Because of what happened to me, um, I'm, I'm going to relieve myself of accountability or responsibility. I'm going to stay in the mindset of feel sorry for me. And have you ever noticed how people with the victim mentality hang out with other people with the victim mentality? I, listen, you get somebody who wants to play the victim, they're going to find 37 other people that play the victim. And you know why? They want to hook up with people that reinforce their negative behavior. Thank you. They want to hang out with people that reinforce their negative behavior. Um, a victim mentality always finds a reason to blame others for what they have a lack of discipline for. Um, you, you want to say, well, I'm always late because this happened or that happened. No, baby, you're late all the time because you're lazy and you don't set an alarm. Y'all not ready for this. I ain't going to get done early. I'm not quitting on purpose. Quit talking about what you've been through 
You got up late. Nobody's fault. Just own it. You lazy. Nobody. It wasn't what your daddy did. It wasn't what your mommy did. You like sleeping. The victim mentality teaches others, don't expect much from me. And it also attempts to relieve myself of any responsibility. Now I'm going a little bit deeper when it comes to sowing and reaping. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. You want a harvest, but do you have the seed for the harvest you want? Because some people will say, Pastor, I need money. I'm going to go pray. And I'm like, praise the Lord, go pray, but that's not the seed for money. What it is I want, I sow that. You say, I don't have any friends. Well, you mean is the devil. Have you sowed any friendliness? I don't ever get blessed. When's the last time you sowed a blessing? Nobody pays for my gas. When is the last time you paid for somebody's gas? Are y'all getting what I'm throwing down right now? Like you, I am so tired of people complaining about a life and a harvest that they don't have. They're complaining about it, but they're complaining while have never sowing one seed towards it. How can we complain about the harvest if we've not sown the right things? If you want friends, be friendly. You want people to honor you, honor people. You want money, find somebody who needs some and give it to them. Whatever it is I want in my life, I'm going to sow that if I want to reap that. If I want a friend, if I think I need some friends, then I need to be intentional to start sowing some friendship. We don't like that because you know what we want to do? It's the cop-out. If we want money, if we want friends, we want a new house, we want a new car, we want our kids to quit acting a fool. We, 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 don't, we don't ever want to sow towards anything. We just want to say, God, give me a miracle. But the miracle is already in the seed. If you want an oak tree, it may not just pop in your yard takes those bad boys a little while. But if God gave you the seed, the acorn, he's already answered your prayer. But if you don't go outside and plant the seed, then let's stop playing the victim of I don't like my life. If you don't like your life, sow a different seed. I'm, no, I'm not done. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Walking circumspectly means that life, we think linear. Uh, and nothing wrong with that thinking. But a biblical mindset to this is life is not linear. Life is circular. What goes around comes around, right? So, so what I make happen for somebody in one season, that will come and revisit me in another season. Life is circular, so walk circumspectly. And so we have to understand the guy in the text, in the parable, he sowed good seed, and, and biblically he sowed it thinking that later I'll have a harvest, right? And that's the right thinking. If I sow a seed, I should have a harvest on it. What he did not prepare for was what happened between the time he sowed it and the fulfillment of wheat. We would call that the interjection. The interjection is where the enemy came in and planted something while he's waiting on the harvest, and it got planted, and it was out of his control. So he wakes up one day, and he's thinking, I've sown good seed. I'm expecting a harvest. I expected this. I expected that, but because the enemy came in while men slept, he's thinking, what is this? Have you ever had something pop up in your life that you know you didn't sow for? You know I did not plant 
that kind of seed, this cannot be my harvest. While, the in, while men slept, the enemy sowed tares. I liken this as the worship team comes back to what happened 9-11 with terrorism. I want you to think about this. A lot of the security you see today is a result of what happened on September the 11th, right? We, we still talk about it, but Homeland Security said during that time that there was something we needed to, needed to watch out for, and they called it sleeper cells. People who lived next door to you that looked like a regular neighbor, they would lie dormant until a certain day or season, and then they would wreak havoc. See, that's how the enemy works in your life. While life is going, things are going well, the marriage is good, money in the bank, I'm getting a promotion at work, and the kids are doing well, they made good grades, but it's in the middle of all of that that sometimes we forget that we have an adversary that will come and plant a sleeper cell. And that thing may lay dormant for four years, eight years, 16 years. It may lay there a long time. And then suddenly one day you survey your garden and you're thinking, I planted for that and I planted for this, but what is this? A doctor's report, a betrayal. Something happened that you didn't sow for. A sleeper cell was planted. And we think, when did this happen? How did this happen? Has anybody ever had something show up and you, and you say, God, I didn't ask for this. This is not what I signed up for. An enemy did this while I was asleep. The difficulty in relaxing in your walk with God is that the enemy did not sow the tares while he was on guard. He sowed tares while he was sleeping. And that seed turned into a harvest. He looks out in his field, and not only does he see wheat, y'all can testify to this, but you look at your field and you see some tares, there is mixture. The word tear means undesirable part. Everybody in this room has an undesirable part of your life. There is something the enemy has sown that you would say, I didn't ask for, didn't sign up for it. Why do I have to deal with it? Could be a mess that somebody else created for you. And this is what church people don't understand because when, when tears pop up in their life, you have to remember Jesus set the whole thing up by saying, this is what the kingdom is like. People in the kingdom, they, they sow, they reap, but they also have an adversary who wants to destroy their life, who wants to sow the wrong things. And it's why Hebrews 12, 15 says, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become foul. In other words, when you look at your garden, when you look at your field, your heart is your garden. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart for everything you do comes from the heart. It's the garden. When you look at your garden and you see the wheat, you see the good things, and you see the tears, you, the disappointment, the rejection, the betrayal, the doctor's report, the, the financial situation, the loss of a job, things that you say, I didn't sign up for that. I didn't sow for that. I sowed for something much better. You got to be careful because if you start internalizing the tares, internalizing what the enemy planted, a root of bitterness springs up and, and the writer says, not only does it defile you, It'll defile everybody you're connected to. Iniquity underneath the surface. As you stand to your feet, some of us, we've become way too lax 
and how we're protecting our garden, our heart. The enemy should have to work overtime and around the clock to sneak something past you. But some of us, we've been opening up our garden. How do we do that? By the music we listen to, by the things we watch, by the relationships we keep, by the talk that comes out of our, mu- our mouth. Because watch this, we don't guard our garden at the garden. You guard the garden at the gate. I'm, you ought to be clapping like a crazy person right now. Listen, I don't guard it. I, I guard it by what I see, what I hear, and what I say. Lift your hands all over the place. I want to pray for you. See, the thing is, the Holy Spirit is dealing right now. Some of you, you've got things in you that you've not shared with anybody in this church. It's failures, it's betrayals, it's secret addictions and sins and things that nobody else knows about. And what I had prayed for today is, Holy Spirit, go and deal with the parts of people's lives that we can't counsel out, we can't talk out, we can't have enough conversations about a deeper work that is so much deeper than anything we could do as individuals. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit go into the deepest, darkest places of your heart and and deals with the thing that's underneath the surface that nobody, and I speak right now in the name of Jesus, healing over that part of your life. Holy Spirit, thank you for meeting us here right now. Thank you for healing wounds from years ago, pain and trauma from years ago. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for dealing with the thing that is underneath the surface. This church, I'm prophesying right now, God has called us not to deal with the fruit of decisions made. But God says, I have anointed this house as a place of healing, not to just deal with the fruit of decisions made, but I have anointed this house to deal with the things underneath the surface, the why they did what they did, to get to the root. I say to this church, I have anointed you as an ax to cut down things from the root, says God. Come on, church, if you believe that, if we're really going to be a house of healing, we got to get past the what, and we got to get to the why. Holy Spirit, I thank you. I speak healing over this house. I speak healing over marriages, relationships, and unforgiveness, and rejection, God. I pray, God, that you heal the deepest parts of people's hearts in this place, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing. Just receive. Just receive. His presence is here. How many know God can heal 20 years of pain in a moment? He can heal a marriage that's been going south for 10 years. He can heal in a moment. I prayed and I asked God. I said, God, I want you to show up in our church And I want you to do things, God, that can only be explained as God did it. I have worn myself out at times trying to help people get victory and counsel with them over and over. And what I am coming to find out, until we get underneath the surface and allow God to touch those places in a person's heart, they're going to continue to make decisions that sabotage their future. Help us, Holy Spirit. How many want to be a part of a church that God can heal the deep things, the things we don't talk about? I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, no one looking around for the next couple of moments. I know I went a little long, but this is the important part. If you're in this place and you would say, Pastor, I'm not in relationship with God, 
Maybe you even once knew him, but for whatever reason you've drifted. And you know right now you're not where you need to be with God and you need to give your life to Jesus, like fully give it to Jesus. If that's you, you say, I don't want to leave the same way I can. I want to leave knowing I'm saved, that I'm right with God. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are? I won't embarrass you. Thank you for that hand back there. God bless you. Another one back there. God bless you. I see that one over here. God bless you. Come on, raise it high, raise it high, raise it high. Raise it high. Another one here, God bless you. Another one here, God bless you. Another one here, God bless you. God sees it. God sees that hand. God sees that hand. Another one, God bless you. God bless you. I wish I had a church that knew how to praise God when people were coming into relationship with Jesus. It's what it's all about. All those hands that went up, I want to lead you in this prayer. It's very simple. Just say this out loud. Everybody say it together. Say, Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, church. So, so good. So good. Moas, I need some prayer people. I need some staff people. I know we're tired. We've worked all week. We've been here since early. We've baptized 45 people. But there are some people here today that need prayer. And so I need some prayer workers. I need you to get in place. I'm going to join you down there. If you need prayer today, I don't want you to leave without it. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to move in your situation. Those of you that just made a decision for Christ during this last worship song, if you would just fill out a connect card, it's in the seat back in front of you. Let us know who you are, that you made a decision for Christ, and you can drop it in one of the containers on your way out. We want to help you take your next step. Before we go into worship and prayer, let's give Jesus one more applause. God bless you. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can go to BethesdaChurch.tv give. We'll catch you on the next episode. Have a great day.